Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired podcast community. And as much as I love the guests that we have on, I appreciate even more the impact of their stories, their messages, their lives on yours. So I'm asking you to take just a moment to do me a big favor. I'd like you to take a survey so that we can better understand what it is about our Live Inspired podcast that you love, what's working for you, maybe what's not working perfectly for you, what more you'd like to hear about, and maybe a special guest you'd like us to bring on. You can take this survey by visiting me online at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Again, here we go, johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Come on. I really want these podcasts to be as best as they can. I want them to challenge your thinking and elevate your lives. So take just a moment right now, help us make this better, not only for you, but for our entire community. Your feedback matters. So go again right now to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Now, here we go. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary. Welcome to Live Inspired, the podcast. We are always delighted to have you part of our Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast, I have the great privilege and honor of bringing you people that move me, people that I look up to. Sometimes they are authors, thought leaders, overcomers, astronauts, musicians. We've had them all. We've really had a wide gambit of individuals we brought on, but- We've never brought on a Hollywood actor or an actress. So on this podcast, I get to bring on, drum roll please. Okay, special effects are in the background right now. Our very first celebrity, our very first actress. This guest of ours today has been on Dinner for Schmucks. She's been on Iron Man 3. You may have seen her, everyone's seen it. The Devil Wears Prada. And yesterday, maybe in her best work yet, I think, came out on ABC. It's called A Million Little Things. It premiered just yesterday. This is the show about a group of friends whose lives were intertwined and then eventually turned upside down when one of them shockingly committed suicide. I'm not giving away the ending. I'm I'm really talking about the beginning here. We are live and in September, this is Suicide Awareness Month here in the United States and around the world. What better time to have this show air on ABC and what better time to bring on our newest friend, our great guest, Stephanie Shostak. Stephanie, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Ah, thank you so much, John. I'm so privileged to be feel privileged to be on your show. Very honored. We 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 are the ones who feel honored. I'm thrilled. In in unusual set of circumstances, normally we're the ones that reach out to our guests, and in this case, you reached out to us and said, "John, I think there's a story that might play for your audience." Talk about first how we met in the first place. I think it's a great backstory to uh, our podcast today. It is. Uh, My husband works in New York City, and um, he's a financial planner, and his company had an outing at Mohegan Sun at the casino to watch a speaker, and it was you. 
And my husband came home and got my kids and me, and he said, we have to watch this story together. And he had your DVD, and we watched it all together. And it's such an inspiring story, and it moved us. And it was so great to show the kids this because, you know, that's the kind of thing we always want to try and teach them and make the best of what's happening and don't give up and be hopeful. Uh, and so after that, I started listening to your podcast and my husband too. He's the one who listens to all the podcasts and then sends me links to share with me. So, uh, in, in Hollywood, when you're an actor, when you have a big project coming out, sometimes you have to take a publicist, which is a lot of money. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And my husband was like, well, maybe you can reach out to people who inspire you. Hmm. And so that's when I thought, maybe John O'Leary. Here we go. (laughs) Well, and after receiving that note and having the opportunity to bring you on, I've been all over the place researching you. You have a terrific life story and an incredible body of work, no doubt about it. Maybe the thing you're working on now is the high point, I think, of all the great work you've done. You've been part of some really worthy projects. Talk about the one that released last night on ABC. Uh, It's called A Million Little Things, and I do also think it's a very special story because it's about real people and and humanity, and it's got a lot of heart and hope and also humor. And it's the first time that I'm doing something so close to life. Um, When I read the pilot, it made me think of my own group of friends. Mm. And, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, and I thought of all the stuff we've gone through, the joys and the laughter, but and the births, and, but also the loss, yes. and the, all the stuff that all of us go through. And, but how all these things make us closer, and it made me want to call my friends. And, um, you know, they, so the pilot aired last night, and it's, it's really a show about friendship. We'll talk more about the show and the impact of it and the feedback already that is uh, starting to spread. But before we talk about last night or even today, I want to take you back. You, you have a, a beautiful accident. Sounds like, is it New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, it's LBI. <laughs> you know, you, you, you may have lived a little bit of time in New Jersey, New York, but that's clearly not where your accent's from. You were born in France. Talk about Talk about where you grew up. I grew up in the suburbs of Paris. Um, My mom's French and my dad's American, so I'm half and half. And I was there till I was 19. And in the suburbs, it was um, a happy childhood. Although uh, my parents both worked together. They, They had a tennis court company and I had an older brother who was eight years older than me. And it was a happy childhood, although when I was 11, my uh, brother became a heroin addict. Um, he, but, you know, when you're a kid and something like this happens, it's, it's, it's just life. Yes. And kids don't, don't, they're just so resilient, and you just go through it. Um, he was very much my hero. He was uh, very different from my parents. He was an artist. He was a poet. He didn't fit in, and he questioned everything. Um, and... So, yeah, that's how I grew up. Let, let's, I, I want to hear all about your brother before we talk about him. Talk about your mom and dad. Um, my mom is incredible. She's so accepting. Um, 
she's a working she was a working woman uh, she had her own identity aside from being a mother but she was a very loving mother uh, always I always felt very independent though and you know guided but not told how to do things mm. Awesome. Um, yeah, I wish I was more like her as a mom. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Uh, yeah. Uh, and my dad was an uh, incredible role model, very strong man, uh, who taught me what's right from wrong. And, and, you know, he repeated to me many times, you always will know what is right. From what's wrong, we won't. You don't always do what's right, but you always know it. And um, very strong sense of ethics. And um, he was more, in a way, his guidance was stronger. But he, they, all, they both were very um, hands-free. Mm-hmm. So you, you were liberated. You were a free-range child growing up in the suburbs of Paris. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> What what was you know for many of our listeners uh, they've seen the Eiffel Tower maybe live many have seen it at least at pictures and on movies what's it like growing up in the suburbs of Paris very few of us know what that's like um, yeah that's I lived in an apartment you know all my life never lived in a house uh, until just recently um, we I rode my bicycle to school or took the city bus from age. At age, uh, let's see, 14, I would take the city bus by myself. Um, what else can I... We would take the, the train, the RER, to uh, mm-hmm. to Paris. Um, we hitchhiked. I think it, it's similar. It could be similar to growing up in the suburbs of a big, you know, right. New York City. Uh, in the 70s. Right. Now. Uh, yeah. So my, my wife and I, we, uh, we took our anniversary trip over to Paris and, uh, you know, you hear things about Paris and you hear things about the men and women and the kids that live there. And our re- our reaction was the exact opposite. We, I, I don't think there'd ever been an international city where we felt more welcomed and more mm-hmm. uh, understood, where people took more time to point us in the direction of where we wanted to go next. And so I just wanted to share that with you, that we, we loved, we loved not only Paris, but the people there. Yeah, I I do too. It's I think the French are very insecure, and sometimes they are also insecure about not speaking English, and it can come come out as uh, being cold and closed off. But if you take the time and you you take the time with them, then they are they are very nice people. The direction thing is so true. It happens to a lot of people. A lot of people have told me that too. Yeah. Your your brother, you mentioned, and I know this just from reading and watching some of your interviews, your brother had a massive impact on your life. What was it about your brother that you looked up to and respected so much? He was he has he had such a strong sense of who he was. Um, he didn't fit in, but he didn't try to fit in. Um, he had a he he was way ahead of his time. He was a vegetarian. He knew about uh you know what we were doing to the to the earth and climate and he he just felt like we lived for the wrong reason he was completely anti-materialistic and mm. and he always made me um he, he you know if if one time we had a passover dinner and he he took me aside after and he was like you can't believe everything you have to question everything Mm. He was heavy into philosophy, and and when he after he he got out of um, 
heroin and became a Rastafari. And for the listeners who don't know what that is, and it's the same religion as Bob Marley, and it is actually a religion. He drew dreadlocks, and but so he was very wise and read the Bible um, all the time. And that when I was in the car with him, it was really annoying, but he always talked to me about life philosophies and how to look at life. And but I I, I loved it at the same time. Your brother's uh, addictions are going to lead to him. Uh, prematurely dined. Just walk us down that path. What what what, what happened? Um, so because he was a heroin addict, he uh, had hepatitis. He developed hepatitis C and cirrhosis, and was HIV positive. And that was, um, you know, at the time where really that was the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. Yes, and, um, it was it was really shocking and. Um, could have been embarrassing, but my parents were really good at, at never feeling that way and always being loving to him mm. through everything, addiction. And my brother had friends whose parents, you know, threw them out. And my dad ended up living uh, away from home with him for a whole year, mm. and which got him out of addiction. Um, but the whole addiction thing was at 20, and then he he didn't pass away until he was 28 years old. So he gradually became sick. He never developed AIDS, but he was just weaker and weaker, and his heart gave up when he was 28. You 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 loved him in the way he lived and the the wisdom he shared. What did you learn from him as he slowly passed and eventually died? What what? How did it shape your life afterwards? Um, it's. You know, whenever I'm in the city and I see a homeless person, I always wonder how they got there. Yeah. Um, because I always think he could have been that person. And also, as a mother, I tell my kids all the time, I, you know, I, I tell them, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting all choked up. I tell them his story and I say, remember that people who look different and they have a story and be curious and don't judge. So... That's impacted me a lot. And it, it, it actually also, um, one day when I was young, I was probably 13 or something, and we were, he was smoking marijuana and a little high, and he, I was watching TV, and he wrote me a poem that was beautiful. And I read it, and at the end it said, but why are you so, and it said dot, dot, dot. And mm. I was like, why am I so What? But what do you mean? So it's a bad thing. Why am I so what? And he said, you'll figure it out. And I said, no, what do you mean? And I kept asking. He said, you will figure it out. And um, when I took my first acting class, I was 29 years old. And after a few weeks, I did my first monologue. And um, when you act, there's something called a breakthrough, which is the first time where you completely forget yourself. I mean, you know, you just do the monologue and then it's done and you're like, where was I? Yes. Kind of a surreal thing. Even later on, once you're in control, you, you, you don't get, it's just, it's a funny thing. It's like a transcendental thing. And when I finished, I, I felt, I felt my brother and it was like, why are you so, just be you, just be you, find your truth. And I mean, it sounds so crazy and maybe silly, but. In that moment, I felt him, and I was like, I'm here. I'm where I'm supposed to be. 
Well, it's an amazing journey to get to that the audition in the first place, Stephanie. You you leave France. You come to the, Uni- the United States. Why did you leave France and head to the U.S.? Uh, so I played golf competitively in France uh, all through my teens and. A couple of things. In France, once you finish high school, there's no liberal arts education. You have to decide what you're going to do, economics, marketing, or, you know, science or language. There's no liberal arts. So I wanted a liberal arts education. And also I wanted to keep playing golf, and Mm -hmm. we don't have college sports. So uh, I ended up going to the College of William and Mary. Why did you give up golf? Oh, well, I never played professionally. I just competed in uh, as an amateur. I was never nearly as good enough to be a, a pro golfer. Um, but I wanted to quit when I was in my teens, and my dad just, you know, kept me kept me in it. Well, um, he kept you in it. You end up in uh, at William & Mary. What then attracted you up to New York? Um... So I met my husband in college, and then we we both were trying to get jobs. He got a job offer at the World Bank, and I can't remember. I think I had a possibility to work also in Virginia. But we were both sort of, hmm, maybe we should just pick up and go. And it was sort of an adventurous, um, you know, just an instinctive thing. And I got an, an internship to work in a sports marketing firm in um, Connecticut on uh, the Jow Big Apple Classic, which was a women's tour event. So I thought I was going to get a job with them. And so we just picked up and go and went in, to New York City. How'd you like New York as a, as a young lady, short, fresh out of college? Loved it. Loved it. When, uh, I, when I was in college, we drove through New York with the golf team on our way to New Haven to plan Yale. And I remember feeling I will be back here. <laughs> well, you came back. You brought your husband this time. Eventually, you work uh, in marketing. Was it Chanel? Yes. How'd you the get the job? Yeah. The, the 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 internship uh, didn't work out, and which you know was devastating. But then good things happen, and I end up working at Chanel, which was very much kind of like the jobs that are on Devil Wears Prada. You know, it's all fashion and women and. Um, I had access to free makeup and skincare, but somehow I knew that I, I remember looking at my boss and her boss and thinking, I don't, this is not what I want to do. You know, it's, I'm glad you brought up the connection because I, I wrote it down in my notes uh, without beating up Chanel, of course, or your, uh, your bosses, how, how real to life is the devil wears Prada and that industry that, that these men and women work in? like everywhere. There's a little bit of everything. The boss I had at Chanel was incredible. And to this day, we're still friends. And we see each other probably once a year. Um, And she was a mentor and she brought, she asked my opinion on everything. Her boss (laughs) was very true to the (laughs) Devil Wears Prada world. And and my friend was her assistant and she would send her on errands and dry cleaning and things like that. So... (laughs) a little bit of everything. Well, you, you, you do some odd and in jobs, including this beautiful one called modeling for uh, several years. But what I want to ask you about, near your third decade of life, you try something really radical. You move away from modeling and you have this 
somewhat crazy notion to try your hand at acting. T- talk about that, Stephanie. Um, with the crazy notion, I think, came from leaving Chanel to randomly start modeling at 26 years old. And, uh, and, but when I did what they call editorial photo shoots, which is fashion, which really is like making a character, I loved that. And I was like, wow, there's something there. And I kept saying, I want to try acting. I want to try it. And people were like, no, you're too old. You have too much of an accent. And finally, three years later, I was like, no, I'm going to try and do this. And I found um, a theater class with an incredible woman called Sandra Lee in New York City. And they were working on actors there. And uh, she let me audit the class, and I was blown away by the work. And then I, I did that monologue and knew, I really just knew. I was like, I found what I love and I'm going to do this, and I don't know at what level what it means to do this. I didn't have any aspiration to movies, anything. It just, I loved it so much that I felt I was in the right place. When did the break come? You know, I, I don't know if there were, it was a lot of stop and go, because, um, I got, First, I did uh, commercials, which were, you know, a little bit of money, helped me make a living a little bit. But then I got pretty quickly a lead role in an independent movie called Satellite. And it was a really sweet movie and made for zero money. And it got into a lot of film festivals, Tribeca Film Festival, and um, got a great review in the New York Times. And then the production company didn't have the rights for the music. And so the movie never got released. Mm. So after that, it was back to square one. Mm-hmm. And then I, um, then I got the role in Devil Wears Prada, which was a small role, but in, in a big movie. Um, in, but I was with the agent, an agent at the time who didn't really do anything with it. And, also, I got pregnant, which the same agent said, oh, you're getting pregnant now? <laughs> right. So I was like, oh, oh gosh. So, so that was her um, so way of, of uh, saying, congratulations. Yeah, she did. She thought that was the stupidest thing right. to do. And, I was like, <laughs> um, and so then nothing happened after that either. And it was really yeah, a lot of stop and go. And, I, and, and it's funny because... I think we're all like this. We can be so confident. There's a voice in us that believes, and then there's a voice in us that is that doubts. And even though I had so many insecurities and still do, <laughs> there is a voice in me that said, I, I, I don't belong here. I, I, I belong in bigger projects. And I kept asking, like, Ages. I, I wanted. I want meetings with Noah Baumbach. I want. Yes. <laughs> and she would laugh in my face and be like, "Do you know how hard that would be to get him?" So, which brings me to this is kind of a cool story. I got the role in a in a short movie that was um, unpaid. So, a short movie is like a seventeen minute movie that only mm-hmm. airs in festivals. Nobody sees them. Uh, no no salary. And it was supposed to shoot while my husband and I were going to go on a family vacation with the two boys. And I said, oh, crap, here we go. And he said, do you like the role? And I said, yes, it's so fun. And he said, 
then you should do it. Mm. Uh, and I'll go, I'll go with our friends and you, you do it, which was amazing. And so I did it and I met this other actor and he said to me, who are your, who's your representatives? And I said, and he said, my manager would love you. And, mm. uh, <laughs> which was so generous of mm-hmm. him. And he said, send me all your stuff. I'm going to send her, uh, all, all of it. And, that's how I found my manager and who's still my manager and who is this incredible woman who's been in the business forever and she has very talented people. And she believed in me and, which you know, I had no reason to. And she said, I remember you from Devil Wears Prada. I remember you. And I thought, who is that? And she said, Let, let's work together. And then it was like, a, that's when things really started changing. But it was still a lot of stop and go after that. Well, it, it starts opening doors, but these are That's doors that um, that seemingly should never have opened unless you had a lot of personal belief. But I also want to celebrate your husband. This is a pretty ambitious, as the polite way to say, a dream of of moving forward in this career path when there are millions of beautiful ladies and gentlemen trying the exact same thing already out there in Hollywood. But he believes in you. Talk about your husband for a little bit. My husband's incredible. Um, he, I feel so lucky. Um, we met in college. Uh, he's actually the one who told, we were in school in Paris. I did one year abroad in Paris and that's when my brother passed away. And he was actually the one who came to me and told me that my brother had passed away because somebody at the school found him. Mm. Um, We've been together since we're 19 and 20 years old, and he was a clown, and I was shy and serious. And then he becomes a financial planner, and I become an actress, which is <laughs> a complete turnaround. Role reversals. Role reversal. But he always believed in me, and when I said, I want to do this, you know, try acting, he always said, yes, yes, go for it. And a lot of our friends were like, who, what? What does she think she's doing? Who did she, yes. she think she's going to work in Hollywood? Nobody believed, and he always, no doubt, believed in me. And and more than I think, believe he just knew that I loved it, and that's why he was there to support me. Um, he also, I have never worked in LA, and I always do self taping for my auditions, which means you know I put my camera on a tripod yes. and. I need a reader, and he's been doing this with me for, uh, you know, 15 years now, and he has a job, and work needs to work a lot, and he's always there for me when I'm like, one. he, I, he compared me to uh, Peyton Manning, because I'm like, no, one more, one more. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Brutal. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I- incredible. And also... On this job, the A Million Little Things, um, when uh, there was a possibility for me to get it, maybe I asked where it was going to shoot, and uh, they said it was in, in Vancouver, which is across you know the the country. And he said, and so we were both like, no, no way. But then they came back and said, we'll work with you, so you're able to see your family. And but it's a very big time commitment. And we looked at each other, and he said, do it. Yes. Yeah. And he said to me, Stephanie, we only live once. This is an adventure. That's it's right. going to be great for the kids to see their mother pursue 
her dreams. It's good for all of us. It's going to rock our boat, but we're going to do it. It's good. <laughs> so, Stephanie, you you know, I think we all require, unless we're egomaniacs, others to believe in us. Like, we, we need that. But there's another piece of the puzzle that requires us to believe in ourselves. I, I'm curious, standing in front of a camera is a very intimate place to be, very, very lonely sometimes, very isolating. And, and not only that, but you're standing in front of the judges and the critics and the ladies and gentlemen who have been around Hollywood, who have seen all the starlets, who have access to any of them, who are judging you. When you see them looking at you or reviewing your tapes, how do you keep from going to that place where you, you get negative on yourself? Because I, I think that's a place that too frequently we all go, but you've got you to figure out a way to rise above. Yes, it's so, such a good, uh, I love talking about this because, um, you know, early on, that's what I loved about acting was just being free and not worrying about anything. You become somebody else and you're just a true artist and it doesn't matter what people think as long as you're true to the character. And when my career started getting, you know, getting a little bit bigger, bigger roles and bigger movies, all of a sudden, I couldn't go to that place, mm. and I was focusing on the result, what I needed to do, what they wanted, who I was working with, and that I didn't belong there, and I, I, I did not enjoy myself at all, and I couldn't perform to you know, the level that I knew that I could. I, it was really not a good place to be, and um, this happened when I did Dinner for Schmucks, which was my mm -hmm. first big role in a big movie, and it was Paul Rudd and Steve Carell, and I was, it, I just didn't enjoy it because I, I couldn't be free, and then um, I remember after that I got uh, another role in a big movie called R.I.P.D., which was incidentally, the bomb of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But there was Jeff Bridges and Kevin Bacon and Ryan Reynolds and then me. And again, I'm getting these feelings of, of um, you know, not, not belonging. And um, I think we worked for a couple of days and then I went back home. We were shooting in Boston. I went back home then took the train back up to Boston and... I stopped at the, the bookstore and saw uh, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. Mm -hmm. And I picked it up because I had heard him like maybe a month before on the radio. And it, was, and, and it was before a big meeting back then too, which was kind of perfect timing. And mm -hmm. he sort of changed my mindset. And I was like, ooh, I need to read this. And I read the whole thing in, in the, the train. And I called my husband and I said, I just read a book that's going to change my life. And it was all about, it was about so many things, but I actually made flashcards that I started looking at every morning to remind myself uh, to believe, to not judge, to embrace the unknown, to give to people, focus on others, you know, all these yes. things that your podcast and, and mental game is all about and just living a giving life. And that was the first time that, I had heard these things before, but they never, it's like when it's not the right time, things just don't, don't connect. And this was the first time that I realized, oh, this is it. And, um, and then all of a sudden my experience on the, on the movie set changed. And, and from there I, uh, started meditating and just really 
practicing and trying to listen as many as many inspiring people as I can to, to it's, it's it takes work for me to yes. believe in myself every yes. day yeah well I appreciate your honesty around that and you uh, you did a couple other things that I think are very cool. I've read that you may have even made a little movie for yourself to be reminded of what actually matters. Yes. So this was my husband's idea. Uh, he he wakes up every morning early and has saved um, you know pages from books that really resonate with him, and he goes over all his notes every morning. And then one day he said, "I have an idea." we should make a little highlight reel, like a a three-minute reel, where we have all these things that we've listened to, or maybe sayings, or just, uh, you know, just remember today to everybody you see be giving, whether it's a smile or all these little things that that matter to you, that touch your heart. And, And instead of starting our day with, you know, watching the news or social media and have your mind hijacked by all this, go back to what's important to you. And I was like, oh, this is great. So he had the idea, and I'm really good and savvy with, like, iMovie and making things like that. So we both made one for, it sounds so <laughs> But it's, uh, it's a personal thing, but it makes you... Uh, it's great. It, it's so inspiring, and it brings you back to what's important, your your life philosophy, all the things you believe in. Well, and you may know this about me, Stephanie, but when I interview or when I sit back and just listen to podcasts or read books, not only am I trying to be moved by the whole work of the story or the podcast, but by a specific example of living it out. And for me, what you did there and what you do each day, like, that's it. If we can, instead of being weighed down and hijacked, to use your phraseology, around the headlines and the negativity, and instead be reminded of what actually matters and who actually matters and how to live into it, it doesn't take a lot of time. Yours takes three minutes and it gets you on the right path every day. I think it's a great takeaway for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpful. You also mentioned something else earlier. When I, when I name drop, my names that I'm dropping are like uh, Larry, Moe, and Curly. Those are my three guys that I like to chill with. You <laughs> mentioned Jeff Bridges, Kevin Bacon, and Ryan Reynolds. I mean, like, it's kind of like the Mount Rushmore in some regards of, of, of dudes. So you are yeah. one degree from Kevin Bacon. And I've, I've yeah. also read that you, uh, you had a conversation with those guys that also shaped what happened next in your career. So we were we were rehearsing. It was the first day and I met these guys and it's the four of us in the room and the director and then the director had to take a phone call. Jeff Bridges, you know, the dude, like <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds leave the room and it's Kevin Bacon next to me and me. And he's like looking at his script and it's very silent in the room. There's you know, no chit chatting or anything. And I'm like, Oh my gosh and Sorry, are, are you like, like are you a Kevin Bacon fan? I had a crush on Kevin Bacon when I was in my 20s. All right. <laughs> so I'm debating, should I tell him that? I'm like, no, that's probably stupid. <laughs> but no, seriously, I had seen a movie he made called The Woodsman, where he put yes. portrays a pedophile, and it's, it's an incredible movie, and that's not an easy you know, thing to do. And, um, and I was like, oh, gosh, I, I need to tell him this. And so I said... Uh, and I think he's so cool. He's like so rock and roll. So I'm trying to be a little cool. I'm like, hey, Kevin, I just wanted to say um, I love the woodsman. 
And his head like perked up and he was like, thank you so much for saying that. He goes, wow, you're one of the the few people who, there's not that many people who press play on that one. Mm -hmm. And it was so like, vulnerable how he said that and so we started talking about it and I said no I really loved it and, and we we chit-chatted a little bit and and it was kind of real and then he goes oh my gosh I'm so nervous I didn't sleep at all and and I was like what you're nervous and he yes. was yes I'm always nervous before the first day and uh and he but he was so normal you yes. know <laughs> and and open oh, and, and that I was like oh we're all the same um, it was very cool of him. To, he's very grounded. And and then another thing that happened on this movie, which was incredible. One day we all happened to be in the parking lot at the same time, going to and from the makeup and hair truck where you get your hair done and makeup done. And so we're all in between, and Jeff Bridges comes, and he has a book in his hands. And he goes, hey, guys, guys, I, I just, um, this is my Jeff Bridges impression. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, real quick, I'd stay with your day job, because this, this is not working for me, but go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. He goes, I, I just want to share something with you. Do you have time? I just want to share something with you. And we're like, yeah. And he starts, re- he goes, I'm reading this great book. And he just starts reading out loud, like two pages from this book, which was, and I thought in that, you know, this is when I started reading Deepak Chopra, and I was like, that's his gift. He's giving to us. And it was so beautiful. And then a couple of days later, I remember telling Kevin Bacon, I was like, that was so cool how Jeff Bridges just read to us. And he goes, you like that? Tell him. Because he came to me after, and he was like, was that weird how I did that? Was that- <laughs> You know, in, in hearing you say this, what's so beautiful is not only you who are extraordinarily successful and uh, elegant, that you wonder sometimes, do I fit in? Am I enough? Uh, will they accept me? But in addition to that, you're talking about some of the biggest actors in the world who have the same confidence issues. And you've yeah. also said several times, we're the same. We're the same. And yet we try to pretend like we're different. That's them over there. It's, they're, they're a different religion. They're a different color. They, they vote differently. They have a different passport. And uh, I want to remind our listeners, uh, we're the same. I think it's a, an important takeaway today. We are the same. We're the same. And also, I think uh, this is one time my husband told me this, which was incredible. I was about to go in a meeting with uh, for Iron Man to meet the director. And I called him and I said, I'm so scared. Uh, and he said, why? And I said, because it's to play a bad guy and I'm supposed to be strong and, and you know, tough guy and that people don't see me like this. And he said, show your vulnerability. That's strength. Mm. And so to, we're the same and we're all, and, and, but somehow we think that our vulnerability, it makes us, Weak and when really that it makes us free and that's it's courageous to show that side of yourself too. Stephanie, are you? And then it opens up. Sorry, it opens up real conversations. Are you at a place in your career and in your life when you walk into a room you feel as if you belong? Like when you walk onto Iron Man three and you're the villain and uh, you're playing opposite a pretty big named actor. Do you, do you have the sense finally where you're like, oh, okay, we can do this? Or are there still whispers in the back of your mind thinking, get out while you still can? I, I think those whispers uh, never leave. I think what I learned is 
tools to help me quiet them down and, and, and not listen to them. And some days I'm more successful at, at doing that than others. And, but it's, it's really, for me, doing the work and knowing when those voices creep in, what I can do to help, like, reduce the noise. Um, and, and, you know, all these, the inspiring people who, who say things <laughs> that I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is something that works and helps me. You've, you've played, oh, really now at this point in your career, a whole wide range of characters. Do you have a favorite one looking back on it? I think my favorite experience of all time was, um, as, as a whole, not just a character, the whole experience was uh, Iron Man 3 because uh, working with Robert Downey Jr., who was uh, incredible, and he it was like doing a dance with a, an, an unbelievably talented and generous dance partner who just led you and you <laughs> followed, and that's what it felt like, and really incredible experience. But maybe the, my favorite role to date is is this um, new role, Delilah, in the Million Little Things, because it's um, it's such she's such a real real person with so much going on, regrets, and uh, going through a very tough tough time in her life. And I love being in her skin. You have a very busy family, two boys, your husband, life. Uh, you're getting you're getting calls now. Like unbelievably, your phone rings for auditions and opportunities. No, that's not true. <laughs> well, you do. It is true, and I know it to be true. You can say yes and no to roles as they appear. Why'd you say yes to this one? Um, well, I actually said no, and then then when they said you can, we we will work with you so you can see your family. I said yes because. Um, first of all, it's really, it's not, it's true. I don't get offers or it's once a job is over, it's back to square one. Maybe Mm -hmm. you have a few more things on your resume that will help you open doors, but it really is a miracle to get a job. And I want this to, you know, if there's any actors listening to this, like it's, it's it's a miracle. And uh, I, I have an accent. There's a lot of things that go against me. So to know that somebody was interested, this sounds not the right thing to say, but it's the truth, to know that someone was interested enough in me and that they thought I was right for this role, that they were going to make sure I was able to go back and forth and see my family, mm. I thought, oh, maybe maybe that means I can do something special here. Because also when I auditioned for it, they said, use your American dialect, which I can do. But I was like, no, I'm not going to. I'm a lot more freer if I, yes. if I use my regular voice, and and I said I'm not going to because this character doesn't need to be American. She can be, she can be, she can speak like me, and so then they they like that as well. So I felt like it was it was their choice and my choice, and that 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 felt good. I was like they want me, I want it, and so maybe we can do something special. The, 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 and I told you the obviously the script moved me so much yes that I wanted to be a part of it well you and also I the, sorry the fact that it was an ensemble show yes with uh, is something I've never done but and that was very um, uh, appealing to me you and I chatted before we uh, before we hit record and uh, you talked also about the writer and 
and how uh, personally connected he is not only to the the storyline, but to the importance of telling it more clearly, articulately, and loudly than it's been told in the past. Would you talk a little bit about uh, where this story was birthed from? Yes. So our creator, the creator of the show is uh, DJ Nash. He's so passionate. He has so much passion that it's, I feel very grateful to be in something that he's, he's uh, created. Um, the project came about because he was working as a writer on a job that he said, the worst job of my life. And then he said he would go on his these walks at lunchtime. And he ran into an old friend of his who was also stuck on a job that he didn't like. And he said they both lit up when they saw each other. And they were like, oh, it's the best part of the day. And mm. let's do lunch. And they were both like, yes, let's do lunch. And they were going to have lunch the next Week And he said, and it wasn't like an L.A. lunch, let's do lunch. He goes, we were going to have lunch. And then a couple of days later, this, his friend um, took his own life. And he said, I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, we were going to have lunch. And he said in, in his honor, and he just, he said, I knew I was going to have to write something for him. And, and so the, there's so many things during, in the show, I think we have can't remember what the exact number is of our crew, 600 and something. Mm. Let's say 620. I don't, that's not the number, but let's say we have 620 members of our crew. Uh, the number of um, my character's house is 621 because it's for the whole crew plus his friend. Wow. And um, he, he tells this story a lot and his passion is, is, is incredible. What, what would you personally say to those listening right now who are, you know, whether they're suicidal, they're struggling with depression, they're struggling with an addiction, they're looking back at the pain of losing a brother, any one of us who are currently in the midst of a storm themselves, what, what advice would you offer them? I think talking just from my, you know, I can only speak from my personal experience. I think talking is really something that, that helps all of us. And sometimes it's really hard to talk to somebody we know because we we don't want to bring our – it's hard. Sometimes we don't want to open up. Sometimes we don't want to be a drag. So if it's like that, even to pick up the phone, there's, there's so many, um, you know, associations that you can call and speak to somebody, find therapy, a professional who can really – sometimes give us little tools to brighten our day and, and change a little bit of our mindset. Um, that's what I would say, talking. When you think of your brother today and you think of that question he asked you in the poem, why are you so, how would you f- finish the question and then how would you respond to it? Um, it would be like, why are you so the good girl? <laughs> or why are you so such a follower? Or something like that. You know, I, I, I was doing what was expected, what I thought was expected. And how, how would you like to answer today? I, I found it, Mark. I found it. I'm free. <laughs> and you inspire me every day. Well, you have found it. You are living it. You are outstanding. You are an outstanding talent at, uh, at doing it. I can't believe you began 
you know, later on in your life. It's an incredible gift. We, as you know, my podcast listener friend, Stephanie, we, uh, we have seven questions that we wrap up every show with. So I'd like to guide you through the Live Inspired Seven. Okay. What, and I think I've heard it already, but I'll ask again, what is the best book you've ever read? Uh, the Seven Spiritual Laws of Success changed my life and also the power of now that I'm still reading right now. Fantastic. And we, we've heard that one a couple times lately and uh, that's a weighty book to read it right. I think you really got to read it slowly, uh, take notes. I and, love it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they're underlying and <laughs> writing in the margins. What, what is one positive characteristic, one trait that little Stephanie possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brightly and as brilliantly today? I would say playfulness. And even though I'm very playful, I, as a mom, when I'm caught up in the, you know, domesticity of life and making, cooking dinner and all this, I wish I would just let go and be playful, more playful. Stephanie, if your house, apartment, condo caught fire and all your boys were out, all your living animals were out, and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what would you grab? the old family pictures that are on our bookshelf, you know, my brother and childhood photos. And if there's time, I would grab our passports too, because <laughs> that's such a pain to get. That's right. Practical and uh, yes. <laughs> pragmatic. Perfect. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a perfect day, perfect, and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you like to be visiting with that day? I would love to have Bob Marley, Mick Jagger, Patti Smith, and my brother. <laughs> that is a motley crew. Uh, <laughs> what do you, where do you think that conversation goes? What are you guys going to talk about? I think we're looking at the ocean, and they're just all such poets and free spirits that the conversation just starts, and I'm just listening, and we talk about life and creativity and love and no, just, I'm, I'm in heaven listening to all of them. <laughs> you, you, you've been all around the world. What what uh, beach specifically would you like to be uh, to looking out toward? Is there a favorite oh. that you have? Huh, that's funny. I don't see it. It's like not a real beach. I don't want it to be real. Perfect. I would have said my favorite beach is in France, but I wouldn't want it to be there for some reason. That's perfect. Yeah. What What's the best advice you've ever received? Um, it was somebody who told my husband and I a couple of things. Once to make, to do this exercise called, exercise called the impossible future, mm -hmm. uh, where we both went in a different room and if there were no obstacles, everything was possible. What would your, what would your life look like? Every aspect. And then we shared it together and, but, when we did this, a lot of it came true, and it's just a good way to get to know each other. And then the other thing he said was, uh, give to each other every day without expecting anything in return and without even pointing out to what you did to give, you know, the, taking out the trash or whatnot. Yes. Honey, I took out the trash. <laughs> right. I'm done. Yeah. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? You've just moved overseas. You're in the U.S. for the first time. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? You don't know who you are yet, and it's okay. Take your time. Just be curious. 
Stephanie Shostak, it has been said that all great people, and I'm having a conversation with one right now, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Um, she did it her way and inspired others to do to do the same thing. Uh, well, you know who you are. I think you know where you've been and you know where you're going. And I think that's extremely attractive and cool and inspiring. And we're grateful you spent this time with us. Thank you so much, John. This was just like having tea with you. Thank you. Tea or uh, French wine. I'll take either answer today. And I look forward to joining you for tea sometime live and, uh, and getting to meet your that. husband because he sounds like a terrific guy. He would love that. He would love that. That would be awesome. Well, my friends, Stephanie is in a remarkable show right now. I encourage you to check it out on ABC. It's called A Million Little Things. This is Suicide Awareness Month. Uh, Rather than letting this month pass by without really understanding what that means for you as an individual and for us as a community, check out the show, check out Stephanie's role, and then recognize this fact. Uh, You are a gift and the best of your days remain in front of you. So for this time and until next time, that is Stephanie Shostak. This is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired podcast community. And as much as I love the guests that we have on, I appreciate even more the impact of their stories, their messages, their lives on yours. So I'm asking you to take just a moment to do me a big favor. I'd like you to take a survey so that we can better understand what it is about our Live Inspired podcast that you love, what's working for you, maybe what's not working perfectly for you, what more you'd like to hear about, and maybe a special guest you'd like us to bring on. You can take this survey by visiting me online at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Again, here we go. John O'Leary inspires.com forward slash podcast. Come on. I really want these podcasts to be as best as they can. I want them to challenge your thinking and elevate your lives. So take just a moment right now, help us make this better, not only for you, but for our entire community. Your feedback matters. So go again right now to John O'Leary inspires.com forward slash podcast.